jumping right in. Usually we have a little bit more worship time, and we'll, we will at the end of the service, we'll, we'll have a couple of songs as we, as we depart to just gather again and, and worship. Today, um, we're going to spend more time in prayer. First of all, let me just say happy Palm Sunday. This is a beautiful time of the year for us when we remember what Christ has done. This is what's referred to as Holy Week traditionally. And we're, we're going to look at just a few passages here. The teaching today is going to come out of Ephesians, but I want us to look at what God has done as we just bring remembrance to Holy Week. So the triumphal entry is the first thing that has happened. This is today. It would be Palm Sunday when we remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and he was uh, greeted with the shouts of the people and they were saying, Hosanna, and they were welcoming him, the one who has come, the one that they were waiting for. And so they're laying down palm branches and they're laying down their coats and he comes in riding on the colt of a donkey. And we see this in the Old Testament passage here in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was written about our Savior well before he ever came through those gates. And here he fulfills it. He comes in at the beginning of this holy week and there's shouts of praise and he fulfills what the prophets had proclaimed, that the king of righteousness was coming, the one who would save us from sin, not to become the king that they were looking for in that moment who would rule Jerusalem and get rid of the Romans, but the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who would come, came riding on a donkey. The next we see is the clearing of the temple, and this was the second time that Jesus clears the temple, and he makes the house of God ready. It's a house of prayer. Isn't that beautiful? Because today we are going to make this space a house of prayer. And we see that in Luke 19. He says this, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So the king of kings rides in, he goes to the temple during that week, and he turns over the money changers. He turns over uh, the tables where they were selling the doves and lets go of all those uh, animals and, and just says, get out of the temple because this is a house of prayer. This is supposed to be where you meet my father, not sell goods, not do religious stuff, but come and be transformed. Come and meet with the father. And so he makes this place clean. He has a righteous anger for those who make a mockery of religion, who make a mockery of faith. Later in the week, we see the Passover is celebrated and what we call the Last Supper. Luke 22, 15, 16, he says, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So here he is having this 
last Passover meal with his disciples. And do you catch what he says there at the end? For I tell you, I will not eat it again, eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There is coming a day when he will be gathered with his bride and he will once again sit at the table. He says, but not yet. He is still calling people to himself. There are people still being redeemed. He is still gathering the bride and he is saying, at the proper time, I will have another meal with them. And so we see the Passover is celebrated. He is getting ready to go to the cross to be the sacrifice for us. Jesus is the one who pays for our sin, who who goes to the cross willingly to, to take our penalty upon himself. And not just take the penalty, but he who knew no sin will become sin. And so he is in the garden praying before that moment, and we see this prayer and the betrayal in the garden. And in Matthew 26, we read this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We look at that statement, and it's such a powerful, profound statement. Jesus has never been separated from the Father. He's always had perfect unity. Never once has there been any strain in their harmony, in their relationship, in in who they are as the triune God. In this moment, he knows in just a little bit, I'm going to the cross and I will become accursed and my relationship with the Father, no matter how short of a moment, will be cut off. That will not That's the first time ever that that will ever happen, and he knows this is about to happen, and that he will drink the full wrath of God for sin. And he says, I don't want that. I don't want to be separated from you, Father, but I know I have to be to redeem. I know I have to be. This is the plan. This is what must happen. A sacrifice must be made for man. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, could be the only sacrifice. So he says, but not my will, your will. Think of that. He became accursed for you and for me. We remember that this week. We'll be talking more about that on Good Friday when we talk about the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, and the burial. So this Friday, we'll be looking at those events and and, and the statements that Jesus makes from the cross, the seven statements he makes. That's good trivia today on the way home. Can you name the seven statements? I'm not going to name them today. We were doing it last night at bedtime. And when you're groggy, that's so hard. <laughs> like, did you mention this one? Yeah, twice. Okay. Did you mention this one? We're going to look at the seven statements. And they're, they're powerful. They fulfill prophecy. They have deep meaning behind them. And so we'll look at those this Friday at 7 p.m. here. So if you can make that, um, I invite you to come and, and celebrate that time. And, and all of this week is, is for us to reflect on 
this beautiful, wonderful, merciful Savior that we just sang about. And so I want us to think about prayer. And as we look at the Holy Week, Jesus goes to the garden and he prays. He prays to the Father. And prayer is a beautiful gift that we are given because we can commune with Holy God in prayer. And in Christ, he, he listens. He, he bends the knee, so to speak, so he can be close. He listens to us. He welcomes us in. He wants us to be with him. And Paul talks to us in Ephesians chapter 6 about doing battle in prayer. That it's not just, sometimes we think about prayer just being, okay, I'm going to just ask God for some stuff. You know, I'm going to ask God to help here. I'm going to ask God to bless this. I'm just going to, and, and we think of it as just asking, asking, asking. But it's, it's asking and listening. It, there's, there's spiritual battles going on in the heavenlies. There's, there's a lot more that we don't often comprehend happening. And it's, and it's around prayer. And God invites us in. He says, come and pray. I am working. I'm inviting you into this work. As you pray, I'll use those prayers. You'll see me work. You'll see my glory. You'll be encouraged. You'll be strengthened. God has so much that he does in prayer. And so I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20 today and just be encouraged. And then we're going to take time to practice praying. And I don't want that to scare you as I say that. Uh, it'll be, I, I hope, a, a very beautiful time whether you're seasoned in prayer or whether you're just like, I don't really pray much. I think in this moment today, uh, God will encourage you. And, and, and we'll talk more about it as we get there. So if you have your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 6. Starting in verse 10, and I'll read down to verse 20. This is what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is our passage for us today. He starts off in verse 10, 
And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He gives a command. He says, be strong. (laughs) And we think, what does that look like? How am I supposed to be strong? How am I supposed to stand as he's talking about? Well, he says, in the Lord. It's not to be in our own strength. So as we think about prayer, and we think about standing in prayer, this is not done in our own strength. This is a a moment when the Holy Spirit of God that indwells the believer comes alongside and he strengthens us. He helps us. We lean on him for strength, for for ableness to stand. He says, so be strong. How? By trusting in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, in his strength, in his might. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, that's the gospel in us. That's this message of the gospel. And that message says that part of the treasure that we receive is we receive God himself. We have the Holy Spirit who strengthens us. So Paul says here, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So when we are in prayer, when we're coming to God and we're standing firm and we're standing in his strength, the power of prayer comes from God. The strength to pray, the endurance, the ability to do all that God's calling us to do, it all comes from him. It is God working in us, coming alongside So Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So how do I do that? Well, verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we need to stand in the might of God. We need to stand in the spirit of God. But then he says, you also need to put on the spiritual armor of God. This is his armor. It's, it's on the inner man, the inner woman that this is being put on. We, we, you know, you don't go out. I keep thinking of uh, in the kids' ministries, typically in most churches. I haven't found it in our church. Maybe it's been taken or put away, or maybe we don't have it. You can tell me later if you know where this is, but usually in most kids' ministries in the church, you walk around, and you can find the little armor of God stuff, right, with the little sandals and the breastplate and the helmet and the shield and that. You've seen it, haven't you? Yes, yeah. Well, if we were putting on real armor, wouldn't that weigh you down? I mean, if you think about it, I, I gotta have strength, I gotta have endurance, I gotta be able to wear this. All of this armor encourages and builds us up. It never weighs us down. It actually strengthens us. It fortifies us. It makes us stronger. So like, in the idea of putting on armor physically man, I'm going to get tired. But if I put on the armor of God, I'm actually going to have more energy. I'm going to be strengthened in the Lord. And so he says, you want to stand in the Lord? You want to be strengthened by his might? Put on the armor on the inner man, inner woman. Put on God's armor and he will strengthen you. He will fortify you. He will make you able to stand. Look at Galatians 5, verses 16 through 17 with me. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit." And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the, of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So he says, walk in the spirit. 
So put on the armor of God. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual discipline. And it's not a one and done. It's an everyday thing. He says, put it on today. When you get up tomorrow, put it on tomorrow. When you get on the day after that, put it on again. It's a day-by-day discipline to put on the armor of God, to be strengthened every day by his spirit, to be fortified by the spirit. It's an internal equipping. It's an eternal building, and it's an eternal strengthening that God does as we come and we put on these pieces. Without the armor, something significant will happen. Look at 1 Peter 5, 8 with me. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Two things happen. We don't put on the armor. The previous passage says our flesh will get us. Our flesh will rise up. It'll war against us. It'll war against those things of God. It'll say, go your own way. Do it your way. That's fine. God will be okay with it. You don't need to do that. And the flesh will rise up. When we put on the spiritual armor of God, it, it, it it kills the flesh. It, it puts it off. It makes us say, no, I'm focusing on what God wants me to do. I'm putting myself in Christ. I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm not indulging the flesh. The other thing is, when we don't put on the spiritual armor, we become an easy target for our adversary, the devil. He sees what you are or are not equipping yourself with, and he'll come at you. Oh, you're not wearing the helmet of salvation today. Guess whose identity is going to get a target today? Yours. Oh, you're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to shoot a fiery dart there. Oh, you, you don't have the shield of faith to extinguish all those hurtful words and those things that, that keep you built up? I'm going to start firing some darts at your faith. The adversary prowls around looking. He's not a gentleman. And when you're equipped and your spouse isn't equipped, he'll go after your spouse. And he'll hit your spouse so your spouse will attack you. He's not a gentleman by any means. We are to be watchful and praying and watching what, what he is doing by putting on the spiritual armor. We can stand against him. So without the armor, we fall prey to the schemes of the devil. Look at verse 12 here. It says that to us in, in this passage. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, we have an adversary. Then we do have the flesh, but here Paul's talking more about the spiritual warfare aspect of prayer. And, and, and he's saying, look, your adversary is coming at you, so you need to have on the armor of God so you can stand. You can be strong in his might. And you're going against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens that are putting themselves up against God. And they are against his people. Look at John 18, 36 with me here. Jesus answered, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's standing before Pilate at Holy Week, and he's like, they say, you're a king. Are you a king? He's like, well, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Christ is pointing to the spiritual kingdom of God, that he will reestablish this, his return, the, the kingdom of God will be established, and it already is and not yet. 
in many ways. Through us, he is bringing the, the kingdom of God near, but it, one day it will be established completely. And Jesus is saying, we are fighting this spiritual battle. We are in the middle of a spiritual battle, Christian. And so as we think about Holy Week, we think about how Satan would come against the Son of God with all that he has, with all fury and venom to destroy him, to keep him from being able to bring any redemption. If he will come against Christ, he will gladly come against you and me. And Paul says, you're in a spiritual battle, and you're fighting against these heavenly adversaries. So he says, put on the armor and stand. Now that's a command. In verse 12, he's telling us, put it on. So he says, be strong. That's a command. And he says, then stand. That's a command. So he's telling us, stand with the armor on. It will make you strong. Verse 13, he says to us, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all to stand firm, verse 14 says stand. So here he says in 13 that you may be able. If you ever wonder why it seems like some weeks the devil's just eating your lunch, (laughs) and you're just like, why do I keep falling prey to this? And why does this keep happening? Why does this keep, you know, well, he says you haven't put on the armor. If you want to be able to stand and to be strengthened and to resist, you've got to put this on. He says, where you're weak, he's going to come at you. And so he says, so that you will be able to be victorious. You want to walk victoriously over sin and the devil? Put on the armor of God. Walk in the Spirit. Don't indulge the flesh. Join with the Spirit of God and stand against this adversary, and you will have victory. Because Christ has all victory. He has all authority. He's given you everything you need to overcome. He says, so, start doing these things, and you can have victory. You can start overcoming. You will start being able to stand in his power, in his strength. Verse 14, he says this. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on all of these uh, uh, pieces of armor I just want to point out a few things as we go. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I want to take a look at these in 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 an interesting way. Uh, When we're thinking about this idea of the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, I want us to think not just necessarily on... um, you know, the, the Roman armor and how it all works together and everything. But I want us to think about personal application here. If, if, if God is truth and we're putting on his truth, are we a true person? I like how John Piper talked about it in one of his articles. He was talking about this belt of truth and us being true people in the sense that like an arrow is true. Many of you in here shoot archery. So if you have a bent arrow, it's not going to fly true, Right? And he says, you want to hit the target, you want to have a true shot, you need a a straight arrow. He's like, are you a true person? Are you walking in the integrity of God? Are you walking in uprightness? Are you righteous? Are you walking in righteousness? Are Are you living in this way where truth is girding you, but you are walking in truth? 
He says, is that your character that comes out? He says, put on the belt of truth, but be true. Be righteous. The, bless, the breastplate of righteousness, that's Christ's identity, but it also gives us a new identity. Are you, are you walking in the identity that God has given you? Look at Romans 6.13, this idea of just walking in, in truthfulness and righteousness. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So walking in uprightness, in obedience, walking with him, and following his word, and hearing his word, and applying it. Christ gives us a new identity. He takes us from darkness into light. He calls us sons and daughters. We have new identity in Christ, that righteousness. Are you walking in that? Are you walking in that identity? So have you put on that breastplate of righteousness? Have you put the belt of truth on? Verse 15, he says, And shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so we need the readiness of the gospel for self. John, uh, James uh, 4.2. Do you have that one? Did I give you that one? We're going to see who's faster. Dang. Dang. It's because it's computer. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. This gospel of readiness for, for self, what has the gospel done? It has transformed us. We're looking towards what God has done for us. Why do we pray? Why do we ask? Because we're saying, God, what you have done, transform me, move me into righteousness, move me into your will. I don't want to desire those things of the world anymore. I want to desire you. I want to desire your will. So the readiness of the gospel is reminding ourselves what Jesus has done and how he's transformed us and who he's made us to be and praying into those things, asking for those things and not fulfilling the, the desires of the flesh, but asking for them. And then praying for others, 1 Peter 3.15. Did I give you that one? Yes, okay. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So being able to tell others what Christ has done for them, with gentleness, with respect, being able to give them a hope that endures for eternity. This is who God is. This is who he is for you if you would come and receive him. This is the gospel message, the good news that Christ died for sinners whom we feel that we are the worst and he's yet died for you, died for me. We have that, that hope that is always ready that we're speaking and saying what is needed. Verse 16, he says to us, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith, just going through the word of God and seeing what he says to us and and taking those promises that he gives to us and applying them and, and praying them and speaking them that we would build our faith up, that we would believe. 
so that when the devil comes and the world comes and the flesh rises up, we have the promises of God that extinguish those fiery darts. We, we reframe our circumstances to see them the way God sees them. And we pray according to the word. That, and, our, and we pray, Lord, increase my faith. Much like that man where he says, if you can heal, and he says, if I can heal, <laughs> do you believe? He says, yes, I believe. Help my unbelief. That we're, we're like that. that. Our shield of faith gets, gets reinforced, gets bigger, gets stronger. When we, when we come and we take the scriptures and we say, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me to take these promises that you have given and to apply them, to walk in them, to hold fast to them, to know that they will be done because you promised it. Even when I don't see it and I'm doubting, God, remove my doubt, replace it with faith, that shield of faith that extinguishes those fiery darts. And then in verse 17, he goes on to say, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation and put that on. Keeping your identity secure in Christ, not letting that go. So often, we walk in the things that we think we are, and they have nothing to do with what Christ has done for us or who he's made us to be. I don't know how many times I hear people talk about their identity by the affliction they have or the disease that they've walked in or, or by the things spoken over them by parents or teachers or others in their life. They're like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm always slow getting to wherever. I'm always running behind. I'm always late. Are you one of those people? Hey, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, by the way. <laughs> You're like, well, I'm always late. So what does that mean? Well, it means I'm going to get out of bed later, and I'm going to get there, and I'm not going to feel as bad because I'm always late. You know, like, I'm always that guy. And then when someone says, why are you late? You're like, well, I'm always late. Who told you that? Well, you know, my dad was always like, Vince Lombardi time, 15 minutes early, you're late. And, you know, like, but then as I got older, I was just like, you know, I don't know. But I was always told that. Now, that's just a silly example. We are told so much worse. We are told so much worse. We are spoken lies over us all the time, and we embrace them, and we say, that's who I am. That's who I am. This is me. And we repeat those lies. And Christ says, that's not who you are. He says, that's not who you are. I have made you new. Take the helmet of salvation and put that on and cast off those things. Do you want to be free? Let me just ask you that question. Do you want freedom? Do you want to walk in the new identity? Then we need to ask God to show us what that is and how we live and walk. And let me say this. If it sounds like I'm saying, you don't have to be taking medication or whatever. You can come off all that stuff. That's not who you are. Listen, we live in a fallen world, and sometimes our bodies are broken. And we ask God to heal. And we believe God can heal. And sometimes he does. And sometimes he says, no, that's, that's part of the, the fall of the curse, that, and, and you're going to be refined through it. And praise God for modern medicine. Praise God for how there's knowledge and understanding that, that can help us in our, in our fallen bodies. And we can look forward to the day he gives us a glorified body. 
But don't say, because I have this affliction, that's who I am. No, that's what you have. That's what you're walking in. But that's not who you are. There's a difference in how you respond. And so the helmet of salvation says, I respond in Christ. I respond as he has made me, as he has created me. And so we walk in the newness of the new man, the new woman, the helmet of salvation firmly in place, the sword of spirit, which is the word of God in hand. Have the sword in hand. Know the word. Treasure it. Put it in your heart. This is, this is a defensive and an offensive weapon. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray in the spirit. The sword of the spirit is used in the spirit. We use the word of God as we are in the spirit, as we are being filled by the spirit. Now, I want to share something that I heard this past week about the Spirit. And someone has said to me before, how do I know if God's speaking to me? What does that sound like? What does that look like? You know, like, I don't understand if God's... Like, I understand, like, if he's talking through the Word, there's truth there and everything. But how do I know if it's the Spirit of God in my prayer time? Have you ever wondered that? Is this the Lord or is this me? <laughs> you know, like, what's going on? Galatians 5, through 23, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's the fruit of what? Spirit. If it's the fruit of the Spirit, then the Spirit has these things. The Spirit himself is this. He is love. He is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. When he speaks to you, he speaks out of his character. He speaks out of the things that God has given for him to say to us, to bring remembrance of. When the Spirit of God is ministering to the people of God, it is, it is for our good, for our encouragement. It may be hard truths at times where the Spirit brings us low and humbles us, but we know that as he does it, he does it in kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness. Like, it's not this harsh, boom, you messed up again. No, the Spirit comes, and he gently corrects, and he brings it. So if you're wondering if that voice is the Spirit or not, ask yourself, is that voice following the fruit of the Spirit? Does it sound like the character of God? Is he bringing forth the truth of God out of the Word? And so one of those ways when we're praying and we're trying to understand, is this who God is speaking to me in this moment? Is this God or is this my own thoughts? Ask yourself, what are those thoughts and how are they coming? Are they coming in this way? Are they undergirded with the word? He brings that to remembrance. He applies it so faithfully and so kindly to us. He helps us walk in it. So we listen to the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. And we bring supplications with asking for the saints. And, and Paul says, in verse 18, he says, come and pray and keep alert. Praying at all times in the Spirit with, with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert. Keep alert. And he says, and persevere. How do we do that? Well, we keep putting on the armor and he builds us up. He gives us the endurance. He helps us stay alert. Keep alert. Walk with the Lord. 
So we pray at all times in the Spirit. We pray overarching prayers, and we pray specific prayers. And we pray all kinds of prayers in, in this passage. And we're asking for supplication for the believers here. He's saying, pray and, and ask God to strengthen and to work and to build up the church. So what do we need? Well, we need one another to be praying for one another, asking God to build up his bride, to purify his bride, to work in her. We, we pray alone, yes, in our prayer closet, but then we also pray together as was modeled by the early church in the book of Acts. There's times for both. And so he says, be praying and have supplication for all the believers. And I like where Paul goes in verse 19. He says, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I, in verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul and the apostles prayed and asked for this to be prayed over them. They said, pray over us that we would be bold how many of you ever think of Paul not being bold? <laughs> like, that's, that's I, like, I don't think that he's a meek and mild guy. You know, like, that's just my thoughts of Paul in the scriptures. And he says, when I was preaching to you, it was in weakness. And then I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, you stood up to Peter, and you're like, I told him to his face. You know, it's like, I just don't see Paul being meek and mild and saying, I, I'm, I need boldness. He needed boldness. He's, we are just like him. He is just like us. James says, Elijah was just a man like you and I who prayed in the Spirit and God answered those prayers. They say, pray for us for boldness so that when we have the gospel of peace on our feet, we speak as we ought to. We do it with kindness and love and gentleness and we, and we encourage and we show people who Christ is. And he, so he says, pray for me, for my specific calling. When was the last time you asked someone to pray for you and for your specific calling? The Lord has a calling for each and every one of us. He has stuff that he wants us to do. And it could be administration behind the scenes. When you're praying for the church, there's, a, there's one back there, and, and administration is needed. Let me tell you, when people start thinking about the ministries of the church, they don't think about the people behind the scenes. They don't think about the guy on the soundboard or the the gal doing the slides, until something goes wrong. Or they're like, you like, Corey, come on, man, get it together. Like, other than that, like, they don't think about it, right? They're so needed, and that ministry is just as important as the ministry I do here on stage. There's a place for all of it. And, and, and Paul says, pray for me and the calling I have. What is the calling he has for you? Where has he called you to follow him? What has he called you to put your hands to? You should be telling your brothers and sisters, hey, will you pray for me that I'll have boldness as I do blank? That I would live that way as I should, I should speak that way as I should, that I should do all that would honor Christ in that. Paul says, pray for me that I would have the, the boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel as I share that with others, as I ought to speak. He says, I am an ambassador in chains, but let's cut that sentence back a little bit. I am an ambassador, you are an ambassador. He says that to the church in 2 Corinthians 5. You are an ambassador as well. You represent Jesus. 
he has a job for you. So as he says, pray for me as I do my job, how can I pray for you as you do yours? They're equally valuable to the Lord. He's worthy of all the service that we give him, no matter how we frame it as big or small or however you want to put it. So a couple of ways to pray. We're going to go into a time of prayer now. So for some of you, you're like, I'm not really good at praying. I haven't really done that. So I want to give you a a few prayer models here. So the first one is pray. So these all are really neat little acronyms that you can remember. So P-R-A-Y. So if you're wondering, how do I pray? I'm really not used to it. Like, I don't know. I need a rhythm. Like, help me out, Rob. Start with praise. Saturday worship and prayer, this is what we do. We start with praise. We, we just get our minds focused on God. We, get, we praise him, but also praise him for who he is in the scriptures. What are those scriptures that are meaningful to you? Like, this is, this is my verse. I love this verse. It says something about God, who he is. It really speaks to me. Praise him for that. Praise him for that verse and what he says to you and, and how he speaks to you. And then the R is repent. So after you praise and you see who God is, you you then turn in to yourself and you think about who you are compared to God, and you're like, okay, God, there's some things between you and me, and there's some things I'm walking in I shouldn't be, and, and show me those things, Holy Spirit, and I want those gone. I want to I turn away from those. Maybe it's my identity. Maybe it's my attitude. Maybe it's a, an active sin that I'm in. Maybe I'm allowing the enemy to just come, and, and, and I'm willingly allowing him in. I, I need to repent of those things. I need to to give them back to God and ask. Ask for yourself and then ask for others. Those different prayer requests, those different things. And then the last one is yield. Yielding to what the Spirit shows you. When you're praying, you bring scriptures to mind. Sometimes when you're praying with other people, their prayers bring things to mind and areas that you're like, yeah, I need to grow in that. Or yeah, what you said right there was really meaningful. I want to pray more about that. And, and, and yield to the truth of God. Yield to his word and walk in that. It's just a really simple way to, to go through a prayer uh, time. Praise, repent, ask, yield. The next one, heart. So H-E-A-R-T, honor God with praise. Both of these start with prayer or with praise. Uh, e, examine yourself. Again, so you see some similarities here. Then A, uh, is ask, asking for yourself. And then the R is the requests of others. So they kind of break that out. So you're asking for yourself. And then the R is, what, how do I pray for others? What are their requests? And T is thanksgiving, thanking God that he answers these prayers. Whether we offer them rightly or not, sometimes we don't know if our prayers are in alignment with the, with the Spirit, but we're just asking God to work. But we thank him that whatever his answer is, because he does answer, it's going to be right. It's going to be good. He's going to work in those. And thanking him that our prayers are an act of worship. Revelation says it goes before him in his heavenly throne room like incense, and he loves it. He's blessed by you pray. So heart is an easy one. Praise, examine, ask, request, thanksgiving. Here's a third one, acts. Probably familiar with this one. Uh, Adoration. Again, starting with prayer and praise. Uh, Starting with praise. Adoration confession to thanksgiving to supplications. And that's the, that's the asking on for yourself and for others. So that's an easy one. The fourth one here, past, P-A-S-T, praising God, 
acknowledge. Uh, so this, this is kind of broad, but acknowledging who you are and acknowledging those things that are going on around you, who he is, who you are, looking at the inner man and how you're living, supplication, that's again praying for yourself, praying for others, and then stop, and then it ends with thanksgiving. These are just really easy acronyms to help us guide a time of prayer if you're not used to sitting and praying. And you start with something like this, and before you know it, you spend 15, 25, 30 minutes, hour, you come to worship and prayer, and you're like, we started at 6, and it's already 8 o'clock. Oh, my gosh, we've been praying the whole time? Yeah. Like, it, Lord grows you in it. So here's some easy ways for us to be praying if this is hard for you. So what we want to do now is we want to put prayer into practice. We want to pray for ourselves and put on the armor of God. We want to pray for different things around the room. We have um, different stations here. So over here is, is for healing. Over here is for the home. And there's, there's prompts underneath it. The back is church. Up front is personal. And then in the gathering, welcome area is missions. And so you can spend all of your time at one, if that's what the Lord would have you do. You can meander around. You can pray individually. You can pray with others together. However you feel led to do that, you can use the prompts. You can, whatever scriptures God brings to mind. Maybe you're thinking, I, I really just... As Rob, you're talking, I just really want someone to pray with me. I have a few people here today. Will you stand up if you're wearing a red lanyard? Uh, if you have a red lanyard. Okay. They have red lanyards on. They're going to be praying. They're part of our prayer team. Okay, thank you. You can sit down. <laughs> they're part of our prayer team. And so if they're wearing that red lanyard and you want someone to pray for you, go over and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, will you just pray with me for a minute? And then you guys can get aside and you can pray. Uh, for whatever it is that's on your heart that you want someone to come alongside you and just pray for you. Um, and some of you are thinking, I, Rob, this is great, but you know my kids are with me right now and they're not going to stay really engaged long. That's okay. And the back here on this table, there's paper and, and uh, there's markers and stuff. Here's a great way to pray with your kids. Have them draw pictures of what you're praying for. Say, hey, we're going to pray for our family. Why don't you draw a picture and Ask God to bless our family while we pray. And, and teach them how to pray. Walk with them through it. Maybe read a scripture or something that's meaningful at one of the stations. But they can grab paper. They can grab the markers. They can use the busy bag if, you just, if they just need to be busy or whatever. But, but bring them along and, and help them. And listen, it's not just for kids. I know as I say that, you're thinking, well, I'd like to draw a picture. <laughs> you know, do it. Use that time. Now listen, there's, there's cushions over here and there's different things. This is a time for us as the church to encourage one another to be praying individually and also corporately. So like if you, if you feel like I, I want to come up here to the personal time and just be with God, just me and God, I just want to pray, but I feel like I want to kneel, but my knees and this concrete, it's like, I don't know, grab a cushion, get down here, be low, whatever you need to do. You know, pray together with, with one another, just whatever the Spirit leads you to do. And if you feel led to just stay in your seat and pray there where you are, that's fine too. When we have about uh, 10 minutes or so left, because um, we have a couple songs, I'm going to come up. I'm just going to voice a prayer uh, that will call us back to our seats, and we'll end with this worship and thanksgiving.
thanking God for who he is. So stand up with me. I'm going to pray, and then when I'm done praying, the house music will come on, and you can meander around the building and start praying. Father, thank you. You call us into your presence to pray, and we think of all you've done this week, Lord Jesus, and we, we just give thanks. Because of what you have done, you have made a way for us to even come into your presence. And right now, Holy Spirit, teach us to pray. As Paul talked to us here in this passage, help us apply it to our life. Help us to stand firm in your strength, in your might, to be filled with your spirit, and that you would accomplish the good work in our lives and in our community. So Father, would you, would you just move as we pray? And would you unify us as a people bringing all of these prayers to you right now? In the beautiful name of Jesus, we bring them and offer them as an act of worship. In Christ's name, amen. Feel free to.